Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner. Today, we're talking about the latest news and how it's important for Australian business owners, as well as answering any key questions from the community. I'm actually super pumped up for this episode because we're talking about housing affordability, green mining, and a whole heap of very interesting questions. Now, if you're not already on the newsletter, be sure that you're on there. The newsletter is designed to enhance your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside of your business. So head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter or go to the website and just click newsletter and put in your details so that you get updates on this every single week as we make these drops. Super important. Now, before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Charlie. We've we actually reordered this so that we're doing the big powerful topic first. The number one housing affordability. Right. So a lot of people would have seen over the last couple of years that housing prices have significantly gone up. What is it? It's like the it's like one of the highest points in history across absolutely everything. Uh, one of the statistics that I saw was there were some suburbs over two years had increased by 47% <laughs> in these suburbs. Like if you were looking to try and buy in these places and you were planning on waiting six months or you were trying to save for a deposit, you are now basically priced out. And the sentiment of what we're seeing a lot through the news and even people I'm talking to is like, what's going on? Like, how do, how do I even play this game? So, a super important one for us to sort of break down. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts around housing affordability? Do you think it's a, a myth? Do you think that this thing's going straight back down where everyone can afford it or is it just going to keep going? This is such a complex topic and issue. And like, I must say, I've like benefited immensely. Like I'm in an area where I think uh, the home I'm currently in has done about 40% in the last two years. Um, that was One a of those guys. Yeah, I'm in that camp. <laughs> I'm in that camp. Uh, I am enjoying it. But at the same time, I, I will admit, this isn't the dream house. And it also isn't a house that has the room I would like to have to be able to work from home and also have more kids in. So like I am definitely feeling the pinch on this as well when I look at if I was to like upgrade, it's like the divide and the actual expense has increased exponentially to upgrade my home as well as the like stamp duty and things that come with it. So I think the people that are really like feeling this or noticing it are first home buyers and I do feel for the first home buyers and then also upgraders. So if you're someone who maybe was like, you know, a young couple and now you're trying to move into a family home or have space for kids, you are absolutely in the pinch of it. And it's a very, very complex issue. But I want to actually talk about this in a bit of a unique way because I think so many people are talking about it from like the, um, okay, like how do we solve it from like, do we just bring more supply on? Is government self-interested? But I, I think this is an interesting topic to cover in the way of like, well, how is this important to Australian business owners? And then also how does it relate to our wealth? Because um, we're both property investors and I would say a little bit conflicted in this issue as well. Completely conflicted, especially because my scenario is slightly different to yours. Like I'm, I've jumped on the rent vesting wagon and I'm sitting here looking at this going, so uh, <laughs> my investments are looking great. But me as a first home buyer of me buying like my dwelling to live in and raise a family in, it is a very different conversation compared to what it was two years ago. <laughs> 
Joe has something funny as well, just to really put uh, just to really put salt on that wound. Um, I got a quote to renovate the place I'm in to make it a dream, like a better home, right? For more kids and proper, you know, Zoom rooms and all that stuff that has become <laughs> what people want these days. The cost of the renovation was more than we originally paid for the house. <laughs> Because building materials have gone up substantially in cost and there's a trade shortage at the moment as well. So, again, like all layers really making this more and more complex. And, and I think that that's one of the key points for like this whole housing affordable housing affordability conversation is going, okay, well, holy smokes, like what are the layers? Because I think that we need to unpack them a, a little bit more just so people understand exactly what we're talking about as opposed to assuming because it seems like every time you kind of pick up a piece of news, they – they just go on on this little finite problem as opposed to talking about absolutely everything. And so a couple of the ones that I really see, and you've mentioned it, is, uh, well, okay, the time to build more, the cost of fundamentally gone up like 30% across the board. The time to build them has blown out. Like you're now looking at like nine, 12 months, you got what, three-month wait periods even just for minor renovations, right? So the, the time it is. In addition to that, you've got, what Australia's bringing in, like 160 to 200,000 new immigrants. So you now have got demand <laughs> wanting all of these houses. People need bigger spaces. So apartments aren't in as big a demand as they once were, especially one and two bedrooms. So now you've got more people wanting houses. <laughs> and so all of this is just pushing to say, well, everyone wants bigger spaces. Everyone wants houses. They want the backyard. And it, it just, it does not seem to be going away. And so hence costs of housing primarily, um, apartments are probably slightly different, is going up. And, so, and, and interest rates are going up and cost of living is going up, right? As yep. I said, it's like really layering on the housing affordability issue. It's the hot topic at the moment. <laughs> and so before I talk about my speculation on this, because it's really important for us just to break this down to say, okay, what does this actually mean for business owners in Australia? Like, do you see this changing? Like is this just a – Oh, it was a reaction to the last two years. That is going to come down. Interest rates will go up. Not as much demand. Yeah, it'll it'll normalize because people now can't really afford to buy where they want to live, and the salary and wages haven't gone up, etc. Like, where, where does that kind of sit in your view? Because I think it's really important for where we go and continue this conversation to actually say, okay, well, this is the impact to others. I don't. There's too many self-interested parties. Governments make a fortune on property prices staying high. Uh, they're also incentivizing first home buyers. Anyone who is who owns a home doesn't want it to go down in value and will vote accordingly to looking after property prices. And then any investor is contributing to wanting property to stay high. It's only the people that don't have property that this is affecting and upgraders, as I mentioned kind of earlier, yep. where they're really feeling it. But I still think the majority of people who um, own homes or in that are still going to be swaying it. So my view this doesn't go away anytime soon and I can actually see this getting worse in the coming years. Yeah. What's your view on it? Very similar. So uh, there was – I liken it to, to one thing that I've seen out of the States. So as we know, Elon Musk, Tesla, the whole view and vision for him is that people don't really need to own a car anymore. Like, it, like the, the vision that they've got over the next couple of years or the next five, ten years is that people will just lease the car. Right, lease it from Tesla and you can, it'll take you to wherever you need to go, put it back and other people can sort of rent it and all those things. But car ownership, in their view, is going to be a thing of the past. It's like, well, why do you need to pay for a big sort of asset or liability really? And it's just unnecessary where you can just pay for it every single month and just use it as you will. Makes logical sense. 
And so I'm looking at that going, well, that if that is innovation, that's where everything's moving towards as a lot of people aren't buying cars or aren't needing two cars anymore. They're having more of one car. Does that happen the same in housing? So my speculation is potentially this whole Australian dream of owning your own home kind of disappears. And I liken it to a point that we were talking about on this podcast a, a few episodes ago where like the Australian government used to say, eat mostly carbohydrates and a little bit of protein and stuff. And they're like, well, hang on, no. <laughs> like maybe eat more protein and greens with a little bit of carbohydrates. I'm like, is that going to be the new sentiment around houses, which is it is now too expensive, but why do you really need to own one anyway? You were just going to be able to rent or lease where you want to live and this whole concept of car ownership, home ownership, et cetera, kind of disappears. And so then people can afford to live where they want to live, but they just don't need to put down 20% deposits. They don't need to do all of those things. And if my speculation, and again, it's just my opinion, nothing else, if that is true, then what's going to happen is a bigger gap between the, the wealthy individuals and the not wealthy individuals is actually going to spread wider. Right, And that's a really important point, in my opinion, around why this is so important for Australian business owners who are looking to try and create wealth in the business and, and outside of it. Because if you understand that that's, or if you believe that's where it's going to go, and that's what you're thinking, and you're at the bottom of where this sits at the moment, and you're sort of starting to see it trend up, the question is like, how do you play that game? Like for me, I'm like, did I want more? I'm like, if people won't be able to buy houses anymore, give me more. I'll, I'll take I, it. I feel like a horrible person for wanting more property in the wake of it. I do because like, well, I, I think the there's problem? an yeah. I like I'm very I am conflicted on this. I, I am like I see like investors play a key role in the market of providing uh, rental accommodation, right? Yep. So it's like when we buy a house, someone gets to live in it through renting it from us. So and then I agree with your sentiment of like I think this is overall the direction. I don't think we go straight there. I will go into some more things. But I go, I very much feel that many people who, are, who might be business owners in the have-not category are going to be pushing to be in the have category. Yep. And that's only going to feed into this as well. So very, very, very interesting topic. But um, I, I want to uh, bring this back to the business owner part. And then I also want to talk about what I see through this. What I can see happening, and you're already seeing this, and I have people in my life that are doing this, is I can see what's going to occur is more and more businesses are going to have employees that can't afford to live in the cities like Sydney and Melbourne particularly. Yep. And what they're going to be looking to do is swap to roles where they maybe come into the office a couple of days a week, which they're probably already doing, or start working remote, and then they're going to move out of cities to more affordable regions like uh like we'll call them, I'm not sure what we'll call them, like major regionals. So yeah. not out in the sticks, but it's like if you're in Sydney, it might be Newcastle. Yeah, or just if, out of metro kind of thing. Yeah, the one-hour out points and things like yep. that are going to thrive. So my shorter-term view is that I think there's, uh, and I'll use a, an analogy here, like if you want to lose weight, there's do more exercise or there's eat less food. So if you want to, uh, let's say in this, you've either got earn more or live further out. And I don't see wages keep going up. I think technology is going to keep pushing wages down. So why does this become an important conversation for business owners in Australia? Is I think if you're a business owner right now who can offer great rates and allow people to work from home, you're likely to take advantage of talent in the short term. Yep. So if your employees live in really expensive cities and they get the opportunity to go from, let's say, living in Sydney and their cost of living is through the roof, but they if they work for you, they can move regional, have cheaper housing, enjoy a better lifestyle. 
I think employers are going to absolutely thrive on this. I think that it's going to be a very, very interesting dynamic when you can look after people in that way, that this might actually be your competitive advantage in getting a high quality workforce. The interesting thing, I don't know if you saw like two years ago when uh, sort of when the whole pandemic started and like a home of employees at Facebook, like Facebook said, okay, everyone can work at home and all that stuff. And so a whole heap of people left Silicon Valley and moved to a cheaper rent. And what was it? Zuckerberg came out and said, yep, salaries will be adjusted based on where you live <laughs> because it was so expensive to live in Silicon Valley. And there was this massive uproar of going, well, aren't you paying us based on our skill set and the outputs that we provide, not based on trying to reimburse us for where we live? <laughs> and it was, but I think that to your point is probably what's going to happen, right? Like, especially if you're running businesses that don't need people to come into the office or if it's once a week, et cetera, then you are now able to support people on, on that whole point. But I'm actually going to pick up that because it's also applicable for the inverse, right? So that's how it applies for business owners, like in their business of going great, like people working at home, if you can utilize that and use that to your advantage, that's awesome. But I actually think from a customer side, there's actually a huge point to be made as well, because if people are pushing the boundaries of affordability, like so they're buying a house a little bit closer to Melbourne and instead of it being 30% of their income, which is is quite average, they're pushing up to 40%, 50% of their income because they want that nicer house or they want the bigger spot. What happens to their purchasing ability, right? And so you go, okay, well, if I've got a business that's selling like B2C, so business to customer or to consumer, uh, maybe the demand for my luxury product or maybe the demand for what I'm offering, like my lattes, et cetera, is now going to start being impacted, right? Because they don't have as much disposable income. The, the cost of living has already gone up as well with inflation increasing. They've just spent 40%, 50% of their monthly salary on mortgages. What else are they going to spend money on? Like how, how are they going to afford these other things because they're just going to start sacrificing? And so making sure that your business is aware of that or being able to factor that in, I, I just think is, is critical. And obviously the impact is not as great if you're B2B, like business to business, because obviously that ecosystem's a little bit different. But I, I just saw that being one point on the other side of the coin of what you were talking about going, that is also powerful. Yeah, there's going to be a cohort of people that do that. And I, yep. I'll chime in with a personal story. Is like, um, I've, I've obviously got a young son that I think I bring up in every episode. So let's not make <laughs> an be. exception. Let's not make an exception. <laughs> hey, Jack. Too. Hi, Jack. <laughs> um, anyway, I find myself justifying interesting things for him. So like I, I, um, we're like, I want Jack to be raised in a nice suburb and the other kids I want playing with, I want them to be, you know, from affluent families. So, you know, he might form relationships with, you know, a powerful CEO son and it's going to be his gateway and his network and all those things. So I sit here and I look to, and I'll just use my favorite suburb, Brighton. I'm like, cool. I'm absolutely, I'm just going to spend $5 million on a house to make sure that Jack is in that area. Now, to be frank, you know, probably can afford to live in Brighton. I'm just not saying that Brighton is an affordable suburb uh, on my income. But at the same time, if I did it, so much more of my money would go to living in Brighton. And I would be one of those people where it's like, well, I would be spending less in the economy in other ways. But it's fascinating how I will justify that through my kids. Mm. And I think everyone out there that's got kids, like you want to provide the best for them, even at the expense of yourself. So that cohort of people really exists, number one. And then number two is that um, I can see 
so many people moving out to regions as a consequence of this as well, which is where I want to flip this down going, okay, there is a cohort of people that more of their income is going on housing. I think there's a cohort of people that move out to the regions. Yep. I also think that my the way I've been investing and what I'm thinking about the major regional areas around capital cities like Sydney and Melbourne, I think they're going to boom. Yep. I think there's going to be jobs there. I think there's going to be people moving there. I think technology is going to uh, make it easier for people to work from there. And I think that as someone who's been investing in these regions, they're looking very strong for me. So from a wealth building perspective, I'm actually more confident in the major regionals than I am the capital cities right now. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know, because uh, obviously I love my tech space, uh, Geelong and Bendigo, which are obviously regional, they're, they're kind of like the regional cities, if you call them that, right, uh, have got a massive push for trying to bring in tech talent, right? And so what I, what I found fascinating when I lived in Asia was that they would have what they call satellite cities, which was like these little hubs, that would draw people in of employment and shopping and all of those kind of things. And I suspect that that's exactly where regional will go, right? So you'll find all of these like little sort of satellite cities kind of popping up that have a draw card to bring people in to make it like a little Melbourne or a little Sydney or like make that sort of niceties to make it appealing to people. I, and I, I can't work that, out why they're not more vocally doing this. It's like, yeah. I, like I must be, uh, and again, I don't want to sound arrogant, but um, I must be a dream recruit. Because like I'm going to come to an area, I make all my money online and yep. I'm going to spend money in your economy. Exactly. So I'm going to support your bakery, your shopping center, your schools, your restaurants. Like I'm going to be feeding money in. I'm not going to be uh, taking money from the community. So I'm like, surely, wh- like why isn't like some of these cities being more aggressive with that? I can't actually work out because Australia has such a deep talent of uh, online businesses. I'm like, imagine creating a hub of them. And having our own Silicon Valley, I think it would be a super city. I think it would power along. Even if you niched it, right, depending on what's in the area, like people would just be drawn into it, right? So like no different to like Austin, Texas, et cetera. It's just on a smaller scale. So interestingly enough, for you, more bullish on property investing in regional areas of Australia, is that how you would sort of view it? Yeah. So opinion, again, not financial advice, please, you know, like do None your own research is. and all the right. So for myself, how I'm playing this as a business owner is one, I think going virtual, man, the more virtual you can go, the better a workforce you are going to attract in the coming years as housing affordability is going to play a key role here. You're going to see really talented people who can't afford to live in the major cities, go out to regionals seeking online opportunities. I think it's huge for Australian business owners. You got to find the positives in these things. Secondly, is I'm looking at like property investing is all built around the idea that an area does well and population growth, especially of talented people is often a key part of that. So personally, um, I've already been doing well from that. That's why I think my uh, portfolio has done well. But two, I can't see this trend changing. I think this is just going to continue to feed on, especially with immigration coming in and a whole bunch of other factors to increase Australia's population. So that is my view and opinion. How about you, Grant? Yeah, very similar. So I'm, I'm looking to buy more properties. I think there's going to be some great opportunities that come through in the immediate sort of short term. Uh, but in addition to that, or for people who might be starting a new business, one of the things I will say is like there's going to be some serious innovation that comes through here. Like just imagine if people aren't owning their homes anymore. Just imagine if these tech centers started opening up in regional, like Victoria and regional New South Wales and stuff to draw people in. Think about the services that they need. Like there, there are services and and products that we don't even have an offer now that would be needed 
in order for everyone to be supporting um, like rentals and things like that. And so just like look at that in order for you to go, okay, well, there's a, a couple of other business opportunities. But in addition to what you're saying, virtual I think is, is key. If you can operate your business virtually or majority virtually, like if you are facing people like day to day, sure, like you can't sort of do that virtually. But what about your support staff? What about other things or other parts of your business? How could they go and support this as well? It's a way to get in front of it is. Exactly. There's a couple of ways really well to play this. News topic number two, Charlie. So I'm going to switch up gears on this one. So we've got you and I sort of talked about this Four Corners video, which was fascinating. And it was talking about green metal mining is the greatest way to summarize it. Yeah, have you ever found something like on the surface that is like sounds so boring, and then you watch it, and then you're like, like gripped into this thing? It's like I'm like I'm I'm like up and about. Like I can't believe this. <laughs> this is insane. So for anyone who's like listening, and you're like, what the heck are these guys talking about? So uh, green metals is like the renewable space, right? So they're obviously playing on the concept of green is good for the environment, etc. So green metal mining is all of the raw materials and minerals, and I'm not a geologist, so I'm going to completely tarnish some of these points here, uh, that are required in order to build sort of this renewable and green movement. So think of the minerals that you need to build solar panels, lithium batteries, uh, wind turbines, all of these things that we are producing a significant amount more of, especially thanks to the Musks, et cetera, of the world, um, where are they coming from? Because these are precious metals that aren't really easy to come by. And so some of the metals that uh, that we're talking about was like lithium, tungsten, tin, and there's like these 18 earth. Cobalt was another one. Cobalt was one. one. Uh, And there are these 18 earth minerals as well. And so I, I I found it fascinating to go, okay, well, all of these minerals, have we been mining these in the past? And one thing I learned was they were like the parts that they were ignoring of previous mines. <laughs> so like they were mining for another material and they were just like, okay, we just don't need that and just kind of pushing it off to the side. And so now there's like this ability to go and essentially remine <laughs> the mines that have already been mined to go and find these other pieces that they already sort of got rid of because they're going to be valuable elsewhere. I just found it so fascinating. But I am curious, Charlie, like pulling on this co- sort of concept, like, how is this relevant to Australian business? Like, people listen to this and go, man, I'm not in mining. <laughs> and I don't care about renewals or my business doesn't impact renewables. What does, it, what does it mean for them um, based on the changes that are happening here? Yeah, great great question. I, I think one of the things Australia has been known for is like coal and iron ore. Yep. So they've been our two biggest exports, I believe. Don't, again, we'll butcher the geology and, and facts, but general consensus, I think the theme, right, is yep. in the right direction. Um, so when you look at Australia, it's like we're known for that, but that's kind of like the fossil fuel uh, way of doing things and the world is shifting away from this and going into this renewable space. The thing that I didn't realise is that in like the four most needed metals, Australia ranks in the top four for uh, all of them. Yep. So we, uh, and like we're number one for one of them, three for another two. So like we're in the top four for all these major things that the world needed or needs and we haven't been mining them as heavily as we can be. So they are saying that the, what the world is going to need versus today is like 10 times more conservatively. Yeah, it was like 16 in some other parts. Like it was, it was crazy. Yeah. So you've got this massive demand coming for something that Australia has a lot of. 
Um, not only that, is the other provider or countries that also have these minerals are actually uh, countries that many countries aren't necessarily confident in aligning with for the long term. Now, I'm not going to get into the geopoliticalness of like, you know, is partnering with China a good thing? Is there risk? Like, I don't know enough to comment on that. But what I know is that uh, particularly for like the US and Western countries is they are now pointing towards a preference to buy their raw material from Australia rather than China because they're concerned of getting cut off from the geopolitical risk. So we're becoming way more attractive as a country to deal with. And I know this is a long answer, but uh, how is this relevant for Australian business owners? Is uh, This is pure speculation. I'm calling mining boom 2.0. I'm with you on that. And it, it's funny, like tying this in with previous conversation around housing affordability, <laughs> this is like, oh yeah, I can see where this is going. I didn't realize how strong the backdrop of Australia is. I will say this is like, I think as Australians, we are negligent to how much of a role our prosperity has played with like, we export a lot of iron ore. Our country makes a ton of money from being able to sell resources. Countries that can't do that are significantly, uh, have significantly more challenges. Yeah. Now, if we only exported coal and that was all ending, then we'd be like, okay, we don't have that backdrop to grow our businesses in. But knowing now that there's like, it's not just things are going to maintain, there's like a 10x coming. I look at that right now and go, is there any way we can potentially utilize this? Like if you know all the mining industry is about to go through a boom, can you start altering your services and offers and products to help the mining industry? Because there's going to be a huge tailwind there. And all the people in those mining industries, like they eat at restaurants, they buy products, they buy services, their kids go and start businesses. So this just ends up being a massive ripple effect where I think Australia does pretty well overall as economy uh, in the next 10 years. And it's interesting, right, because uh, I've been very fortunate that one of my co-founders of one of the software companies that I started was uh, like VP of projects over at BHP um, for many, many years. And it's fascinating the volume of travel, the volume of recruitment, the volume of everything that a single mind brings in. So we're not just talking like, okay, well, Australia is going to have like the ability just to offer these new products and services to multiple people. Like you are now talking about a influx of other people with skilled labor. They're not going to migrate, but they're going to be working here for years to set up a new mine, years to maintain a mine. Like they are here as skilled workers to go and sort of support the guys that we have locally. Plus with immigration, I'm sure we're going to pull in some more people as well, which just leads to such a strong Australian economy. Right, because in the Australian economy, if we have all of these things bringing in international money, in being brought in to fund these new mines, but also to export, to refine, to do whatever is necessary, how, how look, look at the economy? Like, how could this not be a great thing? And yes, the environmental things and like being really considerate and all those kind of stuff is like really important to myself. So, a hundred percent that sustainable mining practices do need to be supported in this. Hold on, right there. Opportunity. Correct. Look, look at that. If you, I'm like, all these mining companies, let's let's just call it what it is. These mining companies are pigs, right? They, they make a mess. <laughs> they uh, That person that comes in and stays at your house for a weekend trashes the joint and then someone else has to go there and clean it up. Yep. I hate saying that. I wish they would do better. But I tell you what, if you're someone who can clean up that mess, you stand to do very well. There very, was a, very well. There was actually a business that I'm aware of that used to actually take uh, like the nuclear waste from other places because this nuclear waste gets produced, right? And it's basically this comes from underground. And again, I don't know the, tec- the de- technical details of it, but what they would do is they would package this stuff up, 
And they'd actually go and find an old exposed mine where when you go and build like a massive cut, like you can't really build anything there. You can't do anything. Like it's just an old mine. And they'd actually fill all of the mine shafts with like this, um, this waste. And then what they would do is it had to be a certain distance below the ground to be acceptable. And so all they did was they just went looking for old mines to go and put like nuclear waste so far below, which is basically just putting it back to where it came from. Um, and they just filled it. And like that was a business opportunity. And I'm just like, wait, wait, there's like these opportunities that just bounce up all over the place because of the need and the necessity to it. But even like supporting them on uh, environmental factors, et cetera, as you said, like I, I see this as, as being fascinating. But even outside of just the mining industry, think about everything that supports it. Rental properties. Think about the restaurants. Well, well, should we be investing in like mining towns now? Because everywhere I look, they say that's really risky. I hear horror but stories. There, <laughs> if there is an opportunity, like you might get in, you might get out. But even then, people if they migrate in or they go there, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to come back when they finish, right? Like I don't know how long people stay in mines, whether it's five years, ten years, whether it's a full career of forty years. They're going to have to go somewhere else. Schools. There's going to be so many additional things of it that a strong economy creates that I just sit here and I just go, as an Australian business owner, supporting the Australian sort of ecosystem, then I'm excited. I'm wrapped. Like, <laughs> I can't see a bad thing in this. There's, again, so many layers to this. But the reason I wanted to include this topic on the uh, podcast particularly is I, I think it's easy to see a lot of doom and gloom in the world right now. I think if you watch any news, you can be honestly terrified and rightfully so. Like there are several things that just are concerning. But I look at this right now and saying based on uh, what we're looking at here, I'm like Australia's not a a bad place to be. Like there's actually significant opportunity here as a business owner. And like I must say it made me feel quite good watching this going, I absolutely see a strong future for Australia. I think yep. we are still the lucky country and I think that if you're in a, let's say you are in a business like you maybe have the last blockbuster store in Australia maybe and you're looking at doing something new, this is a prime opportunity to get in front of. Yep. If you're in a business that's potentially been struggling or the last few years have been very challenging and you're trying to reposition or re-look at things, I would be looking here. Yep. I really would. But uh, the, the way that I always look, also look at it is in the medium to short term potentially it will actually be another way that Australia will weather this sort of globally kind of recession a bit. Like we might not feel it because these investors are already investing in these new mines and stuff, right, which is obviously going to prop up other areas. So there's so many additional benefits that we get from something like this. I just find it I find it interesting but I also find it positive as an Australian business owner who's looking to create wealth in the business and outside. I'm just like, this is a, this is a win. <laughs> like this is a great news. I tell you what, I might, I might even do a dig around. I would love to know how much money Australia makes per year from selling our minerals and resources. Like just to put it in perspective of the prosperity we create for it, not even I, including the jobs it creates and everything else, but just the raw exports. Just don't look at how we used to sell it into Singapore companies for like tax benefits and then they would sell, unsell it. Like the, if you look through all of that kind of stuff, it'd be a very different figure. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of about staying away from it, um, Shout out segment. I always love diving into the community. For anyone who's listening, there is on Facebook, we've got the full stack business owner community. Feel free to go and join. Uh, It it always surprises me just how supportive absolutely everybody is of each other. Um, Like we have got people just starting their personal wealth creation journey, starting their businesses, doing all of these things, and just everyone gets around them. And I just wanted to do a bit of a shout out to Brad. 
Now, Brad, was it just over the other week? Uh, he actually settled on his very first uh, investment property. The interesting thing, Charlie, was the individual shout out to yourself around sort of lending an ear and actually helping him out on understanding all of this. So it's like this podcast is not just created for us to sort of share what we're doing and share all of these things. It's it's to add the value to all Australian business owners who are looking to do this. And I, I just find it fascinating. And so congratulations, Brad, from Charlie and myself. It's awesome. Absolutely, Brad. And I'll tell you what, it brings me so much joy, right? And it makes me so happy to hear these stories. I feel part of what we do, Grant, is like actually like pull people out of the matrix. Yep. I uh, feel like a lot of business owners don't necessarily realize, like they, th- they think they're playing a game and then it's like, uh, like, you know, in the matrix and then they get pulled out and they're like, wow, this game is very different than I realized. And when someone's obsessed with their business, they're in that game. But when they finally get the opportunity to be exposed to bigger things outside it, it's like the whole dynamics change. So congratulations, Brad. And I do want to pull more people out of the matrix. So if you're in this, hopefully you're one of them. Yeah, agreed. Wholeheartedly agree. Uh, diving into some community Q&As. So I'm, I'm just going to start off with a question. I'm going to let you riff straight off it, Charlie. So the question is, what would you do if your business is not capable of supporting your wealth goals? Start a different one. And there we go. Like, the next question. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it. So like straight out, just go, no, I'm just going to start a new one. So this is a, a really interesting topic, right? So I'll use an example here. Pretend you have an ice cream shop in a regional town and there's only so much people that come to the town every year and there's only so much ice cream you can sell and you're sitting there and you're looking at it and you're going, do you know what? The capability of this business is not going to get me where I want to go in life and that can be very difficult to come to that realisation and swallow that. It can also be very challenging because maybe you've got a mortgage, a family sort of support, you can, you know, it's hard to make moves. So I look at this of going, all right, this is uh, probably a deeper issue than necessarily thought. I also think there's a ton of businesses in the last couple of years that had tailwinds that now have headwinds or had headwinds and now have tailwinds. Like business change and the dynamic of it changes. So uh, I'm I'm very, very near and dear to this topic. I mean, us ourselves, Grant, Vala Media, when we've worked on that, two years ago, fundamentally different topic uh, company than what it is today. Completely different. Yeah, so when I look at that and this question and where it came from is my view is that people become really fixed and rigid in their business. Yep. They become like their mindset is, well, it is what it is and like I'm unwilling to change. I actually think that for every business owner, the ice cream shop included, is that you should be actively looking to change your business every year to take advantage of the opportunities that are. So on a crazy example here, if you're this ice cream shop and you've got this facility and kitchen, right, maybe you need to start thinking about, well, what we sell ice cream during the day. We don't really sell it at night. I'm going to turn this into a shadow kitchen for uh, and do ice cream delivery on Uber. Do you know what? There's a mine down the road. Uh, they're going to need catering. I'm going to actually start changing my ice cream business so we're also going to do uh, food and desserts. Why not? And yep start fulfilling that. So I think every if you're truly looking at your business right now and going, what I'm currently doing isn't capable of supporting, I think now is the time to start repositioning what you do and also making that an active part of your business strategy. Like staying stagnant is the thing that kills businesses. That's how Kodak got wiped out. It's how Blockbuster got wiped out. They knew of what was coming. Didn't like Blockbuster have the ability to buy they Netflix? Did. It was like an it was like thirty five million or three hundred fifty million or something like that, and it was just like no, nah. 
Let Didn't Kodak like, invent the digital camera? They did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like writing on the wall here, I look at this right now and just see that the you have to be progressive. Yeah. You want to be progressive and I think you should actively be revisiting like at the strategy level how you play the environment to win, particularly when there's so much changing in the world. And, I mean, we've already covered two topics already in this show where it's like just ask yourself, how could you reposition what you do to take advantage of those waves? Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll jump into this because uh, I've had the exact same situation. Like I was part of a business that I started that was not providing me the journey that I needed or providing me the money that I needed to get to my wealth goals. And it fundamentally wasn't. And I knew that for like I'd, I was in it for what, six to seven years, about three years in. I'm like, hey, like this thing's not, doesn't look like it's going to give me the wealth that I probably need. However, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to stick this thing out because maybe it's just going to be around the corner. And so I stuck in it for another three to four years thinking that it was going to be fundamentally different. Yes, the value of the company, so the valuation of the business increased and all of those things, but it wasn't ready to be sold. It wasn't at a stage where people would go, oh, we're going to buy you for the valuation. It wasn't at the valuation that we were looking for either. And so I had to start looking internal. And I know, Charlie, you and I spoke about this for many years. I've gone like, well, what game am I playing? Is this the right mechanism for me to get to where I needed to get to? Now, I was in a very fortunate position where I had uh, two other co-founders in it. We had a great team uh, in Australia and around us where we had the ability to say, well, maybe we go and put in someone else to run this because it's going to be profitable. At some point, we're going to be able to sell it and we can just kind of leave it there and, and do something else. And that's what we did. Well, I know a lot of people might not have the exact same opportunity. And so that's where I said, great, I'm going to step out of this business, let it run itself. If it takes another 10 years until it exits, great. I might try and package up my equity to people who are running it now so that they have the opportunity to go and 10x the equity they bought. Like now I just have other options whilst I'm also on a different journey of taking cash flow, investing the cash flow and doing all, a whole heap of those things. I will mention that um – I love what you did there, number one, right? You recognized the opportunity cost and eventually made changes. But um, I will say you had a significant advantage in like you had a very strong network and you see other opportunities. Yep. I think one of the pushbacks we may get on this one is like, okay, you guys have networks and see these opportunities and know how to build businesses to take advantage of them. If I don't have that, where do I start? Now, uh, my view on this, and I, I'm chiming in first, is I think the – because I don't want you to steal my answer. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it's only because you don't want me to take the same answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd say I'm getting better at this podcasting this thing. Is, don't do my points. <laughs> um, my view is that probably one of the best things you can do if you're in a stagnant business is join a mastermind group of some kind so you start getting around people where you can see them killing it and yep. potentially apply their ideas – or what's working for them overlaying to your where you're at, and that's likely to give you like the best movement or value movement. Like, what's your view? Yeah, dude, it was funny. Like, literally, literally last night, I was out with three other business owners, all of them crushing it, all in fundamentally different industries. You had like foreign exchange, you had um, tech company, as well as like an affiliate business, and they're all in their own right crushing it. But the conversations that we were having was around different challenges they're facing, different opportunities they're seeing, and then like just riffing off each other around like how could this apply? So I could not agree more on like the network is so valuable. And if you don't have a network, that's fine. I've done an episode talking about networking. Go and listen to it, watch it, right? You have the ability, just because you don't have it now, you still have the ability to go and create it. 
Um, but also listening to like a podcast like this or any other podcast, which is going to make you mentally challenge yourself of going, am I just sitting being comfortable now or should I be thinking about something different? Like it, am I going through the same rate of change that other people are going through? Like we share a lot of stuff that we're doing, Charlie, of things that we're pondering, things that we're changing, things that we're thinking about in order to provide other people with a, oh, maybe I should be thinking about the same thing or, oh, what am I just resting on my laurels with? Right, Because nothing would be worse in my situation of getting to seven years in a business or six years in a business that's not giving me what I want and going, oh, I'm just going to give it another seven years and hope for the best. Instead of going, how can I change in order to get what I'm looking for, which is obviously the wealth goal. Huge. So, so huge there. I, I concur hugely. And just that opportunity cost. You must yep. change. Change is inevitable for all of us. And I do have to I do have to say one thing. Like person who's asking this question, congratulations on having a wealth goal. A lot of people aren't even at that point yet. Right. So whether your wealth goal is a certain amount of income, whether it's freedom, whether it's whatever it may or may not be for you listening to it. Like if you're listening to this question going, ah, oh man, like that doesn't apply to me or I just want to improve, improve. First point is having a wealth goal, right? So you can already tell this person has gone beyond that and has built her wealth goal and gone, oh, wait, this mechanism is not going to get me there or this business is not going to get me there. I need to change something and how do I know if I need to change it? So like if you're looking at this going, I don't even know, well, set a wealth goal and you will know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pick up question number two. Cool. So from the community, uh, this was one we when we were putting this question in. It was like, ah, how are we going to uh, approach this one where it's like not a whole heap of like personal bias on the top of it? <laughs> but I feel like it's going to be the case. So the community question is like, how do you evaluate assets against each other to find the best option for you? Well, I want to give the really boring answer first. It's like, oh, you know, you look at your goal and then you look at the results and you find people. It's like, uh, I'm not answering it that way. You can see I gave up halfway through it. I have a very, very interesting new perspective on this. Um, I used to be quite obsessed with the idea of like, okay, well, if I put $1,000 into property A versus property B or 100000 or whatever it is, like what's the result difference it's going to be? And then what if it was, um, okay, what if instead I put that money into my super or I did shares or I reinvested it in my business? Like I really did used to just go about it in that way and like was trying to evaluate like return focus. And I've realized for me that that's been kind of like not actually the thing I do anymore. Like it's not actually how I evaluate it. So I had this like, as you asked me this question, like, because we do prep the questions, guys. I'm sure you can see we're not answering these randomly. We spend a lot of time making sure we give a lot of value to everyone. Yeah, I actually think the way I go about it now rather than doing that is I don't do those comparisons in the same way. I actually am evaluating opportunities based on where I'm at. It's kind of, yeah, I've had this perspective shift of going, well, I'm not about, for example, and I'm just going to voice it is I'm not evaluating property versus shares like I was anymore at all. Yep. I've become like I've found something that really works for me, which is business and property. So now what I'm really trying to do or when I'm evaluating it is just evaluating what works on doubling down on what's already working for me. Yeah. So when I look at this, I'm not uh, – and the reason for that I really want to highlight is that I've got such a strong working system here now for myself that even if I could get a better return, let's say in crypto, right, that, that the return is double – there's so much new information I have to learn. There's so much new infrastructure I have to build to manage it. Like there's new platforms I'll have to have. There's new reporting I'll have to have. And even if the returns are there, the cost internally for me to deliver that is high. And I'll use an analogy here that I hope people can relate to. 
It's like you've got a business that's really, really good at, uh, let's just use Facebook ads. You've got all the team for Facebook ads. You've got good margins on your Facebook ads. Your client managers know how to do Facebook ads. Right? So you've got this efficient thing working for you. And then suddenly you go, well, actually the margin is better if we start doing green metal mining. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all this infrastructure is useless. Yep. So from, different. Yeah. So this evaluation point for me now has become very different where it's like, it's more than like just how the asset performs or what the asset is, or if I like the asset or my view on the asset, it's also based on the type of infrastructure I have in my wealth business. Yeah. Like what's the right asset for my wealth business to be able to do well on. And I think that's going to be very, very different for everyone. Like we know people that are very talented at crypto and like for them, I think it would be silly for them to move into property. Like they have a really good, I'm just going to call it degenerate skill set where it's like they understand things that are just on this other level. And then we also have uh, other friends where it's like, I know a guy right now that legitimately is like uh, savant at trading shares. Like he just, his brain is wired completely differently. So for him to be going out and doing a property inspection makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Completely different skill set. Yeah, so I'm almost like the evaluation of assets to me now, I am evaluating through the lens of my wealth business. Where can my wealth business do well? What is the opportunities that my wealth business can capitalize on just like my uh, business in or my active business can capitalize on? So that is the lens I am now approaching asset evaluation through. And that that's completely different to how you originally did it. fundamentally there was actually another episode of this podcast that we took down where it was like a property versus crypto versus shares thing because that was pure asset evaluation and i was like i just don't see it that way anymore i just don't yeah and it's it's interesting that you go that way Uh, like because i think a lot of people like look towards having that level of scalability because i would argue that a lot of what you've got in place and even myself and sort of quite a few people who we know listen to this are very fortunate to have that whole foundation set in place where they could just infinitely scale, right? It's like, like okay, well, what's the what's the number one thing that's slowing me down here? Is it uh, getting deposits? Is it ability to borrow? Is it all those things? Because the teams and everything is just set in place and the business is set there for it. And so for me, what, what I'll do is I'm going to pivot on the other side, which is if you were getting started, right, and you're listening to this now, and you go, well, how do I evaluate everything against each other? Uh, and I know, Charlie, I think we've got very similar points on this. The first thing that I would do when I'm evaluating assets that I'm looking to invest in is looking at the time allocation. And why would I care about that? Because I'm a business owner. I've spent like 15 years of my life perfecting business, making money in business. <laughs> like, So why would I want to take one day, two days, three days, four days away from my ability to create income? from my business to go and support an asset. And I, I see that as fundamentally like step number one. Like if you're looking at an, at, at an asset that requires more time that will take you away from your business, I just, like in, for me, in personally, in my opinion, I just, I just wouldn't look at it because I was like, I, I don't have the time. Like it was, isn't, isn't that interesting? We've both shifted away from like, what are the biggest returns I can get to like what fits us? <laughs> like, yeah, because I, I can, I know I can make money in business. I know I can bring in cash. I know I've got that skill set because I've sharpened that spear for so very, very, very long. So why, to your point, why would I stop? <laughs> why would I say, uh, I will only do that two days a week and I will go and do crypto, like learn how to 
do technical analysis on crypto. I'm like, well, well then the 15 years I've spent building up this skill set kind of disappears. I will say that um, I do think there is a very big value in actually understanding all assets and having foundational knowledge in all of them. I think that will make, just like in business, right, we can pick up like how a cafe runs. Like we fundamentally understand how a cafe runs or an e-commerce business runs um, and that has value in running a service business or running an online business, right? So there's crossover values in the education and I think everyone who is investing should get that education, but when it comes to comparing assets, yeah, I think it's more about what's right for you than what gets the biggest returns because you're likely to get the best returns by uh, having a strategy that applies to your situation. 100%. And I'll I'll just summarize it in the sense of include your business as an asset in that comparison. Wholeheartedly agree. Reinvesting in your business might be your biggest opportunity. 100%. Like maybe taking that money and getting more people, more sales guys, more delivery people. Like that could be the better option. And so then you're just looking at, well, what is the asset value? What is the cash flow that I can derive from the asset? Like I, I would see that that is some of the key evaluations for it is like what is the greatest use of your capital, depending on where you put it, as well as your ability to make it grow. Like Charlie, you and I have got good experience in property, a great experience in property, but also fantastic experience in business. And we just said, let's double down. Like that's exactly what we're going to do because we had that skill set. Now, if you're skilled at shares because you've that's what your parents have done and that's what your family did and that's what everyone talks about and you've got all this, great. <laughs> like it's each to their own. It's more just being able to assess what are you going to give away in order to grow that, but also how does it align to your wealth goal as well? I just want to put one more point here. One of the things I did is like I actively sought out people who were great at each of these. So like I have people doing well in property. I know people doing really well in shares and I know people doing really well in crypto. And like I know people that are heavy into their super. They really, really put a lot of effort into their super and all that. And I have learned so much for talking with them and really understanding it. I would say for anyone listening to this podcast, it is worth you actively seeking out those people as well so you can have real conversations and get a better understanding of you. I'm not saying invest in these things because you probably won't invest in all of these things, but I think it is so powerful to give you that context in uh, developing your own like ability to map out what's better or not better or more suited to you. Yeah, and I will say, like, if anyone is listening to this, we've done a full episode uh, on the six wealth, the six wealth creation concepts. Uh, go and listen to that because the, a lot of the nuance of what Charlie and I are talking about kind of sit within there. And as opposed to us just sort of trying to rinse and repeat like a like a good thirty minute video, uh, go and listen to that because it is going to provide you a lot of insight into what we are thinking through as we kind of progress here. Now, Charlie, before we sort of finish up, I actually. I love this segment of it, which is like thoughts. Like what are we pondering? So I'm curious, Charlie, over the last week, what are you pondering at the moment? Cost of raising kids. <laughs> With a smiley face or a sad face? <laughs> I um, have been very, very, you know, that's an interesting question in itself. With a smiley face. I, I must admit I love being a father. It is one of the things that uh, brings me the most joy. And just all the little moments uh, are worth it. Uh, I am not someone that is bitter on having to pay to raise my child. It was an active choice and, like, I'm thrilled with it. However, however, it's interesting when someone says however or but, isn't it? But. (laughs) Kids are more expensive than I realised. Like, Mm. way more expensive. 
Um, so one of the things we do in my household, no surprise here, I guess if your uh, partner is an accountant, shout out to B, um, you're probably going to do things like run a budget on your household every month. And um, I had not been paying attention to how much kids stuff costs, whether it's activities or nappies or food or school. So I, I actually went out and I started to do uh, a bit of a forecast. So I went out and like looked at school fees, looked at activities in general, went through it and kind of did a bit of planning of going, well, if I was going to have two kids, how much is that actually going to cost per month to be able to like facilitate that? Because I want to facilitate that. And I, what number do you think it was? Two kids. Yeah. How much do you think two kids costs with like, you know, the whole enchilada, feeding them, clothing them, entertainment, housing, school fees as well. Yeah. All of it. So I'm going to guess, yeah, I'm going to guess, I don't know, like two, three grand a kid a month. You're actually pretty close. What What did it come out to be? So I had a, I made this like I have no idea where this come from. It's unfounded. It was like a guess, right? I was like, oh, I think it'll be like fifteen hundred bucks a kid. <laughs> I don't know why, because I'm like, you know, that's that's three grand a month. I'm like, you know, across a year, that's still like thirty. What is it? Thirty six grand. Yep. Right. I'm like thirty six thousand dollars seems pretty reasonable. Kids don't really like Jack eats like barely anything. It's not a lot of food at this point, and even in the younger years, I'm like, okay, from there. I, my estimate, I think, on the lifestyle I want my children to be able to live, and I'm not talking about teenage years. This is kids' years. I realize once they turn 13, they eat a lot and yep. entertainment and cost go very differently. But it's like it was actually closer to like five to six grand a month in costing with all the things that come into it. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, wow. Isn't that – I wonder how many people – have never thought or done that sort of calculation on the children they've got or even before they had kids. Because that that is a serious chunk, especially if someone lives in like a million-dollar house and they've got a mortgage that costs them about $4,000 a month. Like it's more expensive for them to have two kids in your scenario than it is to pay off the mortgage. Well, this is where my concern goes to next. I was like, how are people affording this? <laughs> like I, I'm uh, – well, let's just be honest. I'm in a high-income bracket. But there's not that many uh, high-income earners in there, and yet I look to the lifestyles a lot of kids are living, and I'm like, well, what's going on right now? And Bianca actually brought up an interesting point. When she used to be a, a mortgage broker once upon a time in our youth, she knew people that would refinance their house every year to pay their school fees. No. Yeah, wow. And I'm like, I'm starting to understand where all this debt and refinancing and what people have been doing is playing a role here. So, Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so deeper down the rabbit hole I go. Deeper, I'm like, I'm. It's this is what I'm thinking about. I'm like, how does the average person afford to do this? I'm like, if you're making again, and I try not to be like um, an asshole as I say this, but if you're a, a household and combined, you're bringing home a hundred grand a year. Like, how are you affording these things? Yep. It's like, like again, what sacrifices like, are you making? Like, are you refinancing your house? Are you living on credit cards? Well, are you investing? Probably not. Yeah, did you? I don't know if you saw like the the correlation. So when they and when Australia announced the increase in interest rates, the credit card debt spiked. Like it was it was this fascinating graph that they I can't remember who did it, and they're just like, yeah, look at like the the debt, the credit card debt just went whoop, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> well, I was like, surely people were just like didn't have like surely they had money in a bank account, and they just didn't need to hit their credit card. But yeah, there was just this correlation between like an interest rate going up and credit card just spiking. And I was just like, wow, huge. 
Now, I will just give some context before I said like uh, total was five to six grand. It's like, so think of it from here. It's like two and a half to three grand per kid per month is like, and that does factor in like some housing cost as well. Because like you got to have a bedroom for them. So I'm like, you got to include it. Yep. I mean, you could pile them into the same bedroom. And, and again, it's like I'm not <laughs> anti that in a lot of cases, but in this example, that's how I was laying it out. So that is the thing I'm thinking about. I'm like going, whoa, interesting times, Grant, interesting times. What has are you thinking ch- about? Has it changed anything in how you're operating anything? Like, just, Or is it just the uh, now you've got the awareness? Hasn't changed a thing. Hasn't changed a thing. Yeah, no, I'm not like, but I could totally understand that why someone may not have another kid now. So I'm yeah. like, if someone's got two kids and they've been pondering a third, I'm like, oh, I can see why finances may become a part of that conversation. I can see why population size is reducing across the world. Well, that the birth rate has slowed down significantly, and I'm starting to uh, see that as well as a, a possible factor. Mm. So what am I pondering? This is, this is an interesting one. So slightly different. I um, I, I did have a, a child conversation with Hazel a, a while back. It was like, kick the can down the road on that one. Fair enough. <laughs> so this is completely fine, so I don't have to think about it, uh, or at least in the short term. Um, the thing I'm pondering about it is, so when will this recession be called? So uh, for people who are listening, are like, uh, in order to like formally have a recession in a country, you need two quarters or six months of negative GDP, which is essentially the, the economy has not grown, right? Like in two quarters consecutively. And that's when it's like, oh my gosh, we are in a recession, right? Because obviously you can deal with peaks and troughs and stuff like that. And so I'm looking at this going, well, which quarters are they going to start looking at? Like, I, I feel like we're at the end of like month three. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe this won't be announced for quite a while. Maybe we're at the end of month five, right? I'm just like, is it going to be announced? July, is this going to be announced? Like September, like... Where do they have this? And and why does that sort of mean a lot to me? It's because we all know in the news and media, if it bleeds, it leads, right? So there's a bit of speculation going on. Are we in a recession? Are we not? But you can hear the sentiment of people going, oh, it's still mildly optimistic, but maybe, maybe not. But the second that that light switch changes, recession headlines, oh, what's this going to mean for everything? And bam, I'm looking for opportunities. I will say we'll probably do a podcast on it. So are we feeding into this problem? Like, yeah. <laughs> we we are feeding into this problem. And and so the thing I'm pondering about is going, okay, what might become available before this happens? What opportunities do other people or have other people looked at, like the Warren Buffetts of the world and even people that we know, when these things have happened? Now that uh, both yourself and myself are in a very good position to sort of pounce on opportunities, I'm like, what what are the what are the triggers and what are the signals I'm looking for? Because I don't care where the opportunity is, whether it's in property shares or otherwise. I'm just like, what are the signals I'm looking for? Like, what, what does it have to hit in order for me to go opportunity? I'm in. All right, I want to ask some pointed questions here. So, um, do you believe? Like, are you actively st- like stacking more cash right now because you believe this is on the horizon? Like, this is something you're dealing with. Like from there. And is there anything you're particularly paying attention to? Like you mentioned this recession indicator. Is there anything else you're watching as an indicator? Yeah. So yes, stacking cash. Uh, and from a recession indicator, so I'm, it's interesting. I'm consuming a lot more of news that's coming out of the States, right? And it's probably not- It's probably, da- it, it's probably dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not news. Like, um, like people doing technical analysis, uh, like there, there's a couple of really interesting podcasts that we listen to 
around, well, what are the VC funds doing? Uh, what are the shares looking like? How much is debt costing? Because I see that as a good leading indicator for us in Australia. Um, but definitely stacking more cash. But one of the big things that I've been aware of uh, from talking to a guy that does foreign exchange last night is that what used to happen is uh, recessions were like a big U, right? So it would kind of go down, it would kind of stay down, and then it would kind of like up and downs, and then it would kind of start going up. Where now, because of the rate of cash and the, the data that we've got available and the information that people can see, et cetera, it's like a V. It's like it hits the bottom, it's like bam, straight back up, right? And so what you see now is it's not as long of a downturn. And so now those are the things I'm looking for is like, okay, well, across history, like looking at some of these other charts, is that then validated by data? And that means that, cool, I've got a shorter window to pounce on something. And again, I don't need to buy at the bottom, bottom. It's more, I've got cash available. If something pops up, great. I'm not trying to sort of call the market. It's just, I think that this is going to be really good because of all the other positive signals in Australia around economy with potential green metal mining in Australia in regards to house prices of us. I think they're going to continue to go up, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just like, I love this market. The economy is going to continue to go strong. And if anyone drops a price on anything down to a pr- down to a point that I'm very happy with, I'm in. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm, in I'm there. So why be opportunistic and uh, stack cash for options over just like running a long-term strategy now for you? Yeah, so it's interesting. I've thought about this myself and I'm like, if I, I could go and buy like another property or I can go and do other things, the stacking the cash is only for like the next three, six, nine months. So it's not like a, a big great, I'm going to try and time the market across a couple of years. It's more like if a property, for example, became available because it was under distress or something like that because something happened and it was a little bit more expensive than I typically would buy in property, maybe a million, 1.5 million, I just want the opportunity to pick up something like that as opposed to going all in on like smaller properties, right? And so, But then I'm like, but if I get it wrong, what what am I really giving up? I'm giving up three, six, nine months of, potential returns or I can just go and buy two or three. Yeah, like, but you would I'm store like, that cash in an offset account anyway. Exactly. So it's offsetting the debt. Yeah. So it's so, not it's not direct opportunity because it's probably lesser than that. Yeah, because it's because the, the yeah, it's not like it's cash just sitting in a bank. Yeah, like I, I get a reduction in my interest rates on the debt that I do have. So it's not it's not like it's sitting there stagnant. It's still doing something for me. Um, but it just means that I've like got the ear closer to the ground of going what's kind of kicking around and hence why this kind of recession topic to me is like, okay, I wonder, I wonder, and I, I've never been so observant before around like the news and like what happens with the sentiment and how the market reacts to it. So I'm actually, I'm so, I don't mean to say like I'm excited for this, but it's almost like to the point that we were talking about of being out of the matrix. <laughs> it's like now that well and truly out of the matrix, I, I have the ability to pounce on opportunities, but I'm also got the, this ability of foresight of going, Interesting. I saw this coming. Interesting. That's what the media does. Interesting. That's how it's impacted consumer like purchasing. Interesting. That's how it's impacted this. And being able to really witness it of being like a thoroughly educated person, noting the last one that we really saw was like 2008. So I'm like, I wonder what's going to happen. I'm very fascinated by this topic a little bit because like people uh, I've noticed or observed, and it's not just in you, um, it's in myself and I've seen this in others, is like once someone gets to a certain amount of wealth, that's when like being a little bit more opportunistic makes sense because like, well, you know, if I don't find a good opportunity, I don't have to FOMO in, right? I've got my wealth, I'm cool. And so the idea of like having liquidity or being in a position to take advantage of opportunities if they should arise starts to pop up more and more. 
Yep. Where I see this go wrong is people that have like nothing yeah. and are like sitting there and like waiting for the property market to crash and it's like and they it's end good. up or whatever's going to happen or shares or you name it. And it's like they never get in the game. And it's like them being opportunistic actually ends up being the thing that stops them from forever building anywhere else. Yeah, it's the downfall. And that's – and it's so hard. Like it's so true. But the the difference in and the question that you asked is the fact that like I'm fine with buying ha- other houses. Like no worries. Like I'm, I, but I'm also fine with the opportunity because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I won't find opportunities. I'm like, okay. Well, what's the risk? Well, I might not get as great a return as if I bought them now. Okay. Like, can I live with that? Yes. Like, if, if <laughs> like, but could I live with, you know what? I saw this thing coming and so I didn't stack my chips and so I missed the opportunity and I'm like, damn, I wish I stacked some chips. Yeah, I'd probably be pretty pissed at myself because I think it'd be a great story of going, hey, like, these are the things that we saw that we were talking about it on the podcast and this was the opportunity and this was it. Like, we, we kind of saw this stuff. I think that'd be a great story. And then I, I think it would also be a good story if I was wrong. I'm like, hey, like, this thing didn't happen. Okay, what are you going to do about it? It's funny that we, I will justify bad investments for, oh, it'd be a great story for the podcast. It was fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't care less. No, I, I, just, I, I just, again, uh, different sort of stages to the point that you were saying. Uh, I'm very fortunate in the position that, that we are in. But, again, like I'm fine with buying more properties in nine months and being completely wrong. I, I, it's not going to impact too much at all. <laughs> Uh, well, let's wrap this episode up then. This has been a fascinating one, Grant. Some huge topics. We, we went deep. We went deep. But for everyone who's listening to this, again, make sure that you are subscribed to get these updates every single week. Go over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter, or you can just go to the website, click on the newsletter button, and you'll be able to get access to put in your details, and we'll send you out an update every single time that we come out with uh, one of these episodes as well. And I just want to say thank you for joining us, and we actually look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.